In this edition of We Hold These Truths Speaks Out, we are playing the very interesting question and answer segment of our previous podcast entitled The Unholy Trinity, the Fed, POTUS, and Christian Zionists. In case you don't know, POTUS stands for the President of the United States. I'd like to get your thoughts, Chuck. You talked about deception, the deception that the Federal Reserve System has in not honestly telling who owns it. I think one of the biggest deceptions that has been promulgated for well over 100 years is the notion that the Federal Reserve and the international bankers in general are they're billed as the ultimate capitalist, that they're inherently against evil things like socialism and communism. It facts be known, uh, that's just the opposite. I'd like to mention an excellent book by Professor Anthony Sutton. We'll have a link to that book. It's entitled Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, about the collusion between big bankers, the captains of industry, and so forth, with the Bolsheviks. And it's quite fascinating, his uh, well-documented book. And so, you know, this idea that somehow capitalism, the form of capitalism that these types of bankers are advocating is monopoly capitalism or crony capitalism, as opposed to laissez-faire free enterprise. The bankers that own the Federal Reserve or control it, and that includes Christian Zionism, will accept any kind of ism that will help them if it furthers their cause. Do you have a question, Steve? Yes, I actually do. Question, I do understand how the funding of war goes. I understand how the Federal Reserve and how that all works. My next question was, would be is quantitative easing and plunge protection, where does that money come from for Wall Street? Quantitative easing, uh, you mean the lowering of interest rates? No, I'm talking about the free money given to the high-end traders there to keep the market stable. Basically, what we have is, is a overvalued stock market here, which is not true. We have a lot of Enrons out there on Wall Street, no doubt about it. But this, this free money called quantitative easing and plunge protection, plunge protection came in through the Reagan administration. And I'm just trying to figure out where this money comes from, because it's free money, very much similar to the situation of funding of these wars. I'm trying to figure out where this money comes for plunge protection and quantitative easing. Well, when you figure it out, let share it with me, will you please? Okay. I'd like to know. Steve, isn't it just like the water poured into the soup that I was talking about? It comes out of nothing, and if the people that get the first bite, it's okay. But by the time it comes down to us, it's just, it's nothing. Isn't that what's happening here? It's just more money being put into the system. One thing I I didn't mention, if you look up inflation in an old dictionary, it would say inflation is caused by increase of the money supply. That definition doesn't show up in modern dictionaries. If you ask what is inflation, it says uh, inflation is the rising cost of goods and services. Right. It takes it from the real causes is more and more dollars chasing fewer and fewer goods, which Mm -hmm. causes this inflation that we all feel. I mean, the idea of the poorer citizen that takes the money and puts it under a mattress, well, (laughs) 20 years later, that $100 is worth maybe five cents. It's worthless. Our government sponsors this theft from its citizens, and that should be exposed for what it is, theft. Mm -hmm. 
The comment I have, Chuck, is uh, you speak about Christian church speaking up on wars, these current wars and the wars that are being manufactured for the future. At the same time, you're asking about this, the church is to step up and say something. We're seeing that this new legislation, this uh, late-term abortion, you can deliver and then kill, and I haven't seen anybody in church stand up for that one. You think somebody in the church would have stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, this is crazy, this is insane. I'm waiting for both the church to stand up for both these, these issues right here, and for some reason, uh, I know it's it's the 501c3 has been taken off the table for churches, so they're able to speak politically now, but for some reason they're still not speaking out on politics. Why is that? I think it's fear, I suppose, and uh, they're just not used to doing it, and we haven't convinced them that they should, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Other than that, we the late-term abortion thing is something that Donald Trump actually made a statement about it in his State of the Union message. Mm-hmm. He said that he wanted to introduce a bill that would uh, prevent late-term abortion. Well, I viewed that as an appeal to his Christian Zionist following, because most Christian Zionists, to their credit, would say they are opposed to late-term abortion. So you have the fear factor among churches. They're just going to have to learn that they have to stand up like their forefathers did. And I do think that as we do see the economy crumble and fail as a result of our neglect and the result of this wanton spending that's diluted our currency, we will see weakening that's going to uh, spread, and uh, we will see an awakening that will take place because people whose pocketbook, whose purse is empty, have a way of learning to talk all of a sudden. So we've been anesthetized by this whole printing press operation, and it's caused us not to speak out and to be silent, I do think. You know, I was concerned yesterday watching that State of the Union address where he was kind of actually talking out of both sides of his mouth here. He's talking about basically unnecessary wars, talking about almost 19 years now in Iraq and Afghanistan, and $7 trillion being spent, wasted, nothing to show for it. And at the same time, he's, he's saying that, and then he's talking about beating the war drums against Iran. Yes. And the need for more military technology, more military hardware, which is increasing the the Department of Defense military budget. Uh, you know, they exhaust their budget completely. They just spend it all. Then they ask for more for the following year. But the P5 plus one was agreed upon by Iran on the terms for nuclear, you know, power only for not, nothing for warfare. And uh, the United States has come back now and rewritten the P5 plus one after this the document has been signed to now include short-term and long-range uh, ballistic missiles. So they simply are rewriting the, the contract after the t- contract has been signed. They are just looking for reasons to go into Iran to start another war, no doubt about it. Well, isn't that, isn't that what sanctions do, Steve? I mean, sanctions are a predecessor to war. We did the same thing with Japan. You, you keep pushing, pushing, pushing. And finally, the people said that they've had enough. There's going to be some pushback, some blowback, as Pat Buchanan talked about. We're going to get blowback. And it's like, this is what they want. The warmongers want the blowback because then they can say, ah, see what those nasty people did. Look what they did to us. We didn't do anything to them. They fired the first shot. Right. Dave? You know, listening to this, 
my thoughts are, how can the church be stirred? I realize that there is no doctrinal preaching that is coming from the pulpits anymore. And that, I believe that is the most pressing need in the churches today. For the past 50 years, now there's not much said about a dedicated prayer life or fear of God or living a holy life, being fruitful and sharing your testimony, self-denial, having a closer walk with God. None of that is being heard in the churches these days, and that's the problem. My insight on this is that there's just no sound doctrinal preaching like there was when I was a kid, and it's just gotten worse. It's all about feel good, and and as long as the kids get their candy in Sunday school and, and we get a few laughs in the sermon, and that let's get behind the president because God chose this man. We need to get behind him and not stop and question about what he's doing and what his administration is really all about. Did you find that 1960s Federal Reserve pamphlet that you uh, were telling me about last time we talked? Yeah, sure. Um, There's a booklet put out by the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in Chicago, and it was first printed in 1961. There's been several printing since then. And I know that if you uh, Google search, you can find it online also. They write in here that this money supply and the debits and the book entry deposits started with the goldsmiths. And so in here they write, as early bankers, they initially provided safekeeping services, making a profit from vault storage fees for gold and coins deposited in them. And people would redeem their deposit receipts whenever they needed gold or coins to purchase something and physically take the gold or coins to the seller who in turn would deposit them for safekeeping, uh, often with the same banker. Now, everyone soon found out that it was a lot easier simply to use deposit receipts directly as a means of payment. Those receipts, which became known as notes, were acceptable as money since whoever held them could go to the banker and exchange them for uh, metallic money. Then the bankers discovered they could make loans merely by giving their promise to pay or bank notes to borrowers. So in this way, banks began to create money. More notes could be issued than the gold and coin on hand because only a portion of the notes outstanding would be presented for payment at any one time. And enough metallic money had to be kept on hand, of course, to redeem whatever volume of notes that was presented for payment. And then the transaction deposits are modern counterpart of bank notes. So it was a small step from printing notes to making book entries crediting deposits of borrowers, which the borrowers in return could spend by writing checks, thereby printing their own money. So right here, they're saying that, that the money is simply a bookkeeping entry, and it's created by, what do we do on a check? Our signature. So that's how this whole system is kept going, by the notes we sign when we're buying a house or a washing machine, whatever it is we're doing. It's all created on thin air. Does it so say it, that the so Federal Reserve has the power to do this? 
thing, creating money by issuing checks? Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And then there's the, again, it's credited on the deposits of the uh, borrowers. And I believe, that, I believe that's what I said. Well, that was my conclusion as to yeah. how yeah. the Federal Reserve has propped up the bond market uh, by buying right. $4 trillion worth of bonds at a time when $4 trillion is so much money we can't even conceive of it. Uh, probably, uh, according to another Federal Reserve paper, all of the bank loans to businesses in the country don't uh, equal $4 trillion. That's a Federal Reserve figure that I noticed just today. So the notion of creating $4 trillion of the Fed actually spending $4 trillion to buy treasury bonds is pretty ludicrous. What you were saying there too, Chuck, is that with the example of going to get a loan and you're saying, well, here's all my assets, oh, what are your liabilities? Well, I'm not going to show you that. But in the banker's world, liabilities are money also. And so as customers increase their deposits and checks, and, and then they're taking that, and then they're doing what's called fractionalized banking, whereas they can take in $10 and loan out 9 and collect the interest and the payments off of that. And then as those payments come in, it just keeps rolling over and over and over and over. David, you make a good point about the churches not stepping up to what they used to be and and to a solid gospel message. I've never seen a demographic on Christians and their debt load as opposed to someone that would not be identified as a Christian and their personal debt load. My guess is that the Christians carry a high amount of debt, if not is equal to or maybe even more than a lot of non-Christians. And to me, what I see is that Christians end up being functional atheists when they go to church on Sunday and they do all these things, but in their practical outworking of their lives, they're functional atheists. That's a concern I have. I don't know. Has anyone ever seen any statistics on how much Christians are in debt? Let me tell you something about that, Craig, and Patty will verify this. At Clovis Hills Church, they were raising money to buy that property out there. And they asked their members to take out second mortgages on their homes so they could finance that property and 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 this and this was before the um you know 2005 debacle and so i don't know how many families may be out of a home that they were uh, paying for at that time you know when the collapse hit the church got their property but what happened to those families i think that's a great question to ask that is ungodly he made the mention about the pro-life issue and Chuck said that we see that as Trump pandering to the base, bringing up the whole pro-life thing. And I just wanted to touch on that. I'm very pro-life. I was very involved in the pro-life movement. I did a big workshop on fetal tissue research, and I worked for candidates, the pro-life candidates. I was a one-issue voter for a very long time, of course, the um, issue being abortion. But as I got older and started to see all these wars and started to seeing what these candidates, it was really during the Bush era that, that it really hit me that my pro-life stance was being used. Yes. And I just woke up to it. I really do not believe there's any intention of ever overturning Roe v. Wade. 
this is just a topic that they're using to keep their base. And when you watch, when you've been around as long as I have, and you watch these collections come over and over again, and they bring up the same rhetoric, and there's always some story that's coming up, like, you know, Cuomo's thing here just recently. Sometimes you just wonder, right in time for the State of Union, everybody's all emotional now about this, and, but, you know, are they really ever going to do anything? You know, and is Donald Trump even pro-life? Do we even believe that for two seconds? So I'm still very pro-life. I still do what I can in that, but not through my vote. They're not going to get my vote just because they claim to be pro-life. You know, I go look at the 300,000 people they killed in Iraq. A very good point, Christy, because it reminds me of one of our uh, signs that really points to what you just were talking about. Choose life, not war. We see these evangelicals who say they're pro-life, but they have no problem supporting these wars, particularly the ones that are supporting Israel in the Middle East. And so we see this inconsistency among among Christians. I'd like to go back to Christie's comment. What I see happening and what we need to do is what we're looking at right now, especially with the Democrats, is this identity politics. And we keep, it's the old divide and conquer. You've got the pro-life mm-hmm. Republicans over here, and you've got the identity politics over here, and these mm-hmm. groups will never have anything in common. And what we don't realize is that we're all Americans, and what we need to do is cut off the head of the snake, and the head of the snake is the Federal Reserve System and that whole corrupt system. And that's what we need to focus on as Americans because we're all losing whether you're on the left or the right or the middle or whatever, we're all losing because of the state. Did, did you notice during the, the speech when, the, you know, we got the pro-life things, the, how half the audience stood, and when you had the women thing, the other half the audience stood, but then when everybody talked about the war, yes, everybody was standing. They stood, yes. I Very mean, they just, you know, our politicians, we can't even – you know, look to them to do any of this because they're all bought and sold. So mm-hmm. if you can get to the people and get them to understand how all this is happening. Uh, guys, just a note of encouragement in closing. Remember that human events are moved by actions that result from what they do. And sometimes it takes that reaction to be the catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we're going to have to see something happen to this $20 trillion worth of debt that's going to be the catalyst that will wake up people. And maybe if we can just live long enough, we'll find this happening to our great surprise, and we can just thank God for it when it happens. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small think big, and press on towards the straight gate.